So welcome to town hall number three. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, fill our minds. Give us, especially those who are gonna be speaking today, Courtney, the gifts of tongues, that they can truly speak your will. And give us, Lord, the gift of understanding so we can understand your will. By doing this, do it. Give us the courage to follow you. Of this we ask, trust in your love for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for being here, and thank you, Father, for leading us in prayer. Uh, I just want to welcome you all. We are truly so grateful on behalf of University Catholic and um, for all of us, we really are so grateful that you're here. And for those listening, we extend our prayers and our, and our welcome and just can't wait to be with you soon. These town halls have provided us an opportunity to love one another as Christ loves us. And that is to see God's goodness in one another and to rejoice in the reality that he is present in and with us. Father, one of his recent homilies, he talked about the cross of San Damiano. And on this image of this cross, there's Christ Jesus, but uh, all the characters are actually looking at one another, except for the centurion. But in all the characters on the cross, John and Mary, looking at one another, they see Christ in one another. And that much is evident. And that is the call that we answer uh, by being together uh, and by being present to him. In our first town hall, we discuss how justice informs our call to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in our second town hall, we listen firsthand to accounts from our friends and community members in hopes that we might better understand, better love, and better welcome all to the table of the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass uh, through our friendship, uh, through our community, and just through the bond that we share as brothers and sisters and children of God. Uh, before we begin, I want to reflect on 1204 from the Catechism, which Maria had shared in the last town hall. And I'm going to read it for y'all, and I hope that will guide us. The celebration of the liturgy, therefore, should correspond to the genius and culture of the different peoples, in order that the mystery of Christ be made known to all the nations, to bring about the obedience of faith. It must be proclaimed, celebrated, and lived in all cultures in such a way that they themselves are not abolished by it but redeemed and fulfilled. It is with and through their own human culture, assumed and transfigured by Christ, that the multitude of God's children has access to the Father in order to glorify him in the one spirit. Uh, so a lot there, but really, that's something I'm just so excited for us as we move forward in mission and action uh, and continuing to hear um, more experiences and more wisdom just to be able to celebrate in that way together. Uh, we're honored and humbled to have Courtney Barnes, uh, one of my predecessors is Director of Campus Ministry. She's an incredible teacher and writer and friend. Uh, she's gonna be sharing with us tonight. And uh, before she does, Maria Aguilera, a Vanderbilt senior and upcoming rector for our awakening retreat will be uh, introducing some norms. Yeah, so, um... Thank you guys for being here. Um, every town hall, we've kind of revisited these norms. They've been edited a little bit. Um, 
and that's just a recognition that nothing is like these norms can't be set they just have to keep adapting to our conversations so the first one making space for growth of our current knowledge recognizing that what we come to the table with isn't the full truth and we're here to learn more telling the truth as we know it really asking the holy spirit for courage to help us have authentic real dialogue and the third one is a recognition that this isn't the first or the last conversation that this community will be having on the topic especially as we wrap up officially this town hall series but continue to have these conversations in our community yeah and i want to turn over to courtney thank you so much maria nick and father um I'm really excited, first of all, to see your faces. <laughs> you guys know that I don't get to see you as often as I would like, so it is a gift just to uh, have this time with you and to see you and know that you're well during these crazy times. Um, but I really will dive right in, and um, I'm going to be relatively brief about talking about myself and my identity per se, but I really wanted to share a little bit of um, kind of the work I do in terms of how our faith intersects with these issues of racial justice and speak just very briefly about reconciliation. So I thought that might fit well since this is the last town hall and you're talking about action points next. Um, so just by way of introduction, um, I think I know everybody on here with the exception of Chinyanya, um, but it's just in case there are other people that I don't know. I was campus minister um, before, two campus ministers before Nick. And so I was three years with UCAT and um, and just in my life experience, I'm from Nashville, I'm a cradle Catholic, and so have definitely for years been actually dialoguing about what it's like to be a Catholic in the South, what it's like to be a Black Catholic in the South, what it's like to be a Black female Catholic in the South. All of those things um, I'm very passionate about, and if you know me personally, <laughs> I've already um, talked to you about these things. But specifically in terms of obviously what's going on in our world right now with this second awakening to, um, to the injustices that a lot of Americans right, have lived with our entire lives, um, I think it's just important to kind of, again, share one more experience, but also share the Catholic optic of my experience. So just to give a brief story that I think some of you might not have heard before, um, you know, I am older than most of you. So when I was growing up, um, I was in Catholic school in the 80s. So it really wasn't terribly far removed from segregation. My family literally was one of the families to integrate my parochial school. We were the only black family in that school. So when you want to think about not only being in a white space, but being thrust into, into a position where you are de facto integrating a community um, and then doing that as a child, right? Because sure, my parents who live, and again, for me, it's not two generations removed like it might be for you all. Your grandparents might have lived through the civil rights movement. My parents <laughs> lived through um, the civil rights movement. So it's not that far. Removed. So when I was in school, when I was in elementary school, you know, as a five-year-old, in kindergarten at Holy Rosary in sleepy little Donaldson, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, you know, my, I was expected to be, um, to integrate my class. And that's a weight that no five-year-old should bear, right? 
And so just the psychological stress of that really informed my experience of Catholic education. And it informed my experience in my entire parish, my parish life experience. So from um, really, I would say when I became self-aware as a person and, and grew in my Catholic faith, I still always felt like an outsider. Like it was always my culture, my family was different and not represented in the church. And that was a hard thing because I love the church so much. Um, so that was just my, my experience growing up. So fast forward, um, I think one of the most striking experiences I've ever had as far as what I like to call culpable ignorance. Um, and to just kind of define terms a little bit, I think it's really important to recognize when we're in Catholic spaces, and I think this is really very applicable for UCAT as you move forward and prepare for the fall, you know, when you have ministry events, when you have Bible studies, when you have Sunday supper, when you have retreats, um, you know, you want to make sure, especially as leaders in the community, that, um, that you aren't still culpably ignorant, but you also want to make sure that most people aren't malicious in a Catholic sense. So like, what do I mean by that? Like when we're talking about people having malice, that's police brutality. That's people with their Confederate flags. That's just people who persist in being um, ignorant of other cultures and people who persist in white supremacy, really, to be honest. And so few and far between are you really going to encounter that in your context with UCAP, but what you are going to encounter is culpable ignorance. It's people who should know better, but don't, right? So I think it's important to make that distinction because that's how you can then approach a situation with a little bit more charity and I think, I, I, I apologize, I didn't have time to listen to every town hall before this one, but I was listening to the second one. And I think when Adore and um, Chinyanya were sharing their experiences, they alluded to this, that, you know, there were people who should know better, but don't, right? And that's what they encountered when they um, encountered racism in their struggle as Vanderbilt students. And so I think that's something to just be very, very mindful of and to prepare yourselves, right, to remedy it in your own heart and then like help your peers remedy it. So the story I wanted to share relating to culpable ignorance was actually when I was a graduate student, um, and I'll just have to name names because it's here in Nashville. Um, I was a graduate student at Aquinas College. I won't name the professor or the students, but just for context, I was at Aquinas College here in Nashville um, studying in an education program. and part of our education curriculum was to study diverse learners. So for those of you who aren't necessarily education students, when we teachers talk about diverse learners, it's not just cultural diversity, it's actually diversity in terms of learning ability too. Like if a student has ADHD or if they are learning English, like all those things. So when we were talking about diverse learners, one thing that came up though obviously is cultural diversity. And the, my professor started talking about test schools and about how test scores are earmarked according to race. They wanna know how Hispanic students are performing, how Asian students, black students, white students, everything. So she said, and you'll notice that black students perform lower and it's because their culture doesn't value education. Point, like that was the end of her statement. So here I am, um, a black graduate student in a room full of my white peers and my teacher has literally told everyone as gospel truth, that black culture doesn't value education. So all of a sudden I'm put in a position where I'm gonna represent my whole race. I'm gonna to have, to to, to have to correct my professor who's my superior in this situation. 
And I've just really been like my family, my culture has all been thrown under the bus, right? So I like raise my hand and I'm like, you know, that's just absolutely incorrect. If you look at history, if you look at the NAACP, if you look at Reconstruction, like the first move emancipated slaves obviously made was to secure literacy and the right to a proper education. So that's just false, you know? And so when I was just speaking that truth to my teacher, um, she backtracked a little bit, but the harm was already done. And so I think that is a perfect example of culpable ignorance. Anybody who is, um, has like a high school level education in America should know better, that should know that, um, you know, from the history again of the civil rights movement and even before that with, um, you know, trying to overcome school segregation and even again, just achieving literacy, you know, there just isn't, history tells a different story. But even more than that, a professor with a PhD instructing a class of graduate students should really know better, right? And so that's why that sort of ignorance is culpable. She should have, if she was going to teach a class on culture and learning, if she didn't know, she should have made it known. She should have done her homework, right? And so what that's one experience as Black Americans we constantly find ourselves in is not only being that representative of our entire culture, but defending our culture to people who don't know anything about it and should know better. Um, and to people who just want to attack um, our culture based on stereotypes. That essentially what she was doing was she was taking stereotypes that she had seen from probably pop culture and she put that as a factual information she wanted to give to the entire class. So, all that being said, that's just one of many examples that I wanted to share with you guys. But the, the thing that, I, again, I really want to highlight is we want to make sure that not only we're asking, especially leaders in UCAT, to make sure that they themselves um, don't have, still have that ignorance, but that they know what materials to get their hands on if they are ignorant to supplement their education. Um, another thing, real quick, personally, I wanted to share, too, was just the idea, and I think it was Tanyanya who really hit on this, and I loved what she said in the second town hall about how, you know, um, people are rioting and people um, are responding in a violent way because they haven't been hurt. And I think it is so important for you guys to process that and really take that to heart because the other thing that is, I would say, like hurtful as a Black American is that, like, we've been talking about this our whole lives. <laughs> We've been trying to peacefully dialogue with our peers about race since we could talk, right? And no one has listened. And so, yes, now people are responding in a violent way, and that's not right. It's not justified, but they're tired for a reason because nobody is listening. And the consequence of people not listening has been innocent blood, right? And so that's what's so sad and psychologically damaging. And I just wanted to highlight that point because I thought it was so brilliant. Um, that was brought up in the second town hall, and it's just so true. And I think that that's something you also have to be mindful when you're dialoguing with other people, is that we are sick and tired of talking about this, but we're also sick and tired of not being heard. And so just hearing people is so, so important, just listening. Um, so another thing then I just wanted to talk about, of course, was that reconciliation piece. So I wanted to draw a distinction between reconciliation and justice, because I know you guys began with justice. And I think in a lot of ways, when we, you dialogue about race and then you move towards action points, 
you begin with justice and then end with the goal of healing, which is reconciliation. And one thing I always say is when we're talking about racial justice in America, especially in the context of a church community where we already um, want to grow closer to each other so we can grow closer to God, we can recognize that reconciliation is um, a vertical movement from God, right? That it, God alone can, at the end of the day, heal these wounds. So we have to open up ourselves to receive his grace and to receive um, the enlightenment he wants to give us about what's going on in our own souls. And then it's from like that grace from God that we then to our peers are able to be charitable um, and are really able to help people heal from wounds that have been constantly reopened their whole lives, right? And so I just think this, even the word reconciliation um, needs to be a part of our dialogue because this focus on justice, 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 it is a starting point, but it only gets us so far. And I think especially in American history, it's case in point. You know, in a sense, we had our justice when we had the Civil Rights Act, right? And we've had our justice when we have Supreme Court cases um, that, you know, address police brutality or address disparities. But what fruit has that actually borne? in people's lives and how much violence has that actually stopped, right? And I think we can all say not enough. And so what reconciliation does more than anything else is it opens us up to what God can do that our human frailty can't do. And it also says, hey, we're on the same team because yes, people are committing wrongs, but we all commit wrongs, right? We're all sinners. And so we all need God's grace to heal. And this is like a group effort that we're making together. And so I just really wanted to highlight that point and let you all know that um, I'm still in conversation with Father G about um, how I can be of use to you. But as you move forward and as you um, continue to make plans for the fall, I just want to make myself available to be a support to you as we continue this conversation. So I'm happy to hand it over to whoever's next. <laughs> I'm next, but before I go, does anyone have any questions or comments or things that we want to discuss with Courtney? Courtney, I just want to thank you for, you know, you always bring so much wisdom for us and I think I, I appreciate that you know and I think like stuff that I, I'm glad Elizabeth is putting that stuff on the on the chat and kind of help us to but I mean thank you so much to bring not only your knowledge but you know opening yourself up for us as somebody who's dealing with this and who you know I, I mean I, I can't say enough how much fan of Courtney I am you know so just kind of is that kind of person if you haven't if you haven't had the opportunity to talk to her just invite her for coffee or something I mean you're gonna be like your mind is gonna be like blown because you know she's awesome so <laughs> make promises father <laughs> <laughs> but so thank you so much for sharing that you know and I think that you brought a great point of the whole reconciliation the healing part and you know I think the biggest thing is like is a movement that by God, that only God can do that. 
the only God can heal us. And we just have to be open to that, you know. Only he alone can heal us. But So thank you so much for that, Courtney. You're welcome. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about reconciliation was like the power of prayer. Because I think that sometimes like throughout um, just like different conversations I've had, people have like undermined the power of prayer in addressing like racial injustice. But in that space of prayer is where we ask for the graces and where we like go into our wounds and where we intercede for others and things of that nature. Yeah, actually to, to jump into that, Elizabeth, that's huge because one thing I failed to mention was an examination of conscience too. And that goes along perfectly with what you're talking about is that that should be a practice that we encourage again, first with ourselves and then with our peers that like for all sin, obviously we're examining our conscience, but for this sin in particular, why? Because if we're blind to it, then it has to be God that makes it known to us. So that's huge. Okay, I'm going to share my screen now. Can you all see this? Yeah, okay. So at our last town hall, oops, wrong button. At our last town hall, Maria talked about um, this document that the USCCB put forth um, and it's a letter addressing racism, and it's this long 32-page document, but towards the end, it has these seven steps, and it outlines different things that the church is doing, and it kind of has, like, a pathway from, like, smaller steps to massive steps, like, literally the conversion of all, um, and so when we, as a leadership board, were planning for this meeting um, and thinking about this last step of conversion of all, and recognizing the dignity of all humans. Um, that seems like a massive task, and it is. So I know personally I like felt overwhelmed looking at it, but Nick Seltzer said something that I want to repeat. He talked about how we're all called to sainthood, but you start with like learning in our father. So kind of like our first baby step is these um, first five steps. So that's actually a lot of them. Um, and so kind of in this quick little PowerPoint, we have some actionable items for each of these steps. And so Courtney was just talking about like acknowledging our own sin um, and prejudices. And so one of our items on here is um, an examination of conscience. And then also like more specifically for racial justice um, and racial justice, examining our subconscious biases. And someone in the UCAT Inclusivity Core Group um, proposed this test that Harvard has, and it helps you figure out your implicit biases. Um, I took a couple of them, and it was really helpful. So I would definitely recommend that in order to examine your own self. Um, and then one really powerful quote from the document that helps us learn how to acknowledge our own sinfulness is that only from a place of humility can we look honestly at past failures, ask for forgiveness, and move towards healing and, rec healing and reconciliation? So growing in um, this virtue and this disposition of heart is really helpful, and that's something that we can center our prayer on. And then Maria said something really powerful about this that I wanted to include, and she said, remaining silent about injustices perpetuates oppression. We need to acknowledge it. And so one really good space to acknowledge it within UCAT is our spheres of influence. So specific
specifically Bible studies or discipleship chains. Um, and then COVID restrictions are going to be weird, but Sunday supper is still happening. So we were thinking that um, Sunday suppers could possibly have like different topics that we discuss. And so we were thinking that a continuation of these town halls in the space of Sunday supper would be a good space for us to um, have discussions about this. And then the second um, step that the USCCB talked about was being open to encounter new relationships. And so this is like for life in general. Um, so we don't want to just like reduce it to UCAT, but that is our specific scope that we're discussing. Um, so once again, COVID restrictions will be weird, but sitting near new people at mass um, and reaching out to them. And this is like for all new people in general, but then specifically like being on the lookout for maybe someone that like comes alone to mass or um, yeah, just someone that's new to our community. And then uh, Father G mentioned that we were going to invite um, the choir from Holy Name to come sing with us. And I don't know if it is an all black choir, but I know that it is heavily African American. So that would be like a new musical experience for UCAT to um, introduce. And we would be really excited about that. And Elizabeth, I just uh, actually, I just went to visit St. Vincent de Paul this weekend with the bishop. And they were really excited about that. So they are grateful and they want to come. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then just a general point is being okay with being uncomfortable. Um, I know Maria has emphasized that as she set the norms for these discussions. And then another point that Maria brought up, this is a quote from her directly, forgot to quote it. Um, white community being open to community with minorities. And then minority communities being open to community with white communities um, because it does take like vulnerability both ways for everyone to be able to be open to each other um, but then also white privilege so recognizing that as well that goes back to our last step of acknowledging sin and then the third step the USCCB talked about was resolving to work for justice and then just straight up doing it and so there's different ways we can do that. Um, something that we've definitely done this summer is we've engaged in prayer and then we've had these town halls. Um, and we'll most definitely continue to have these conversations. And then our apostolic dimension is really wonderful. And they work with different organizations in Nashville, like Dismas House and 40 Days for Life and Room in the Inn. And something that Nick Seltzer brought up about this is that um, a lot of the communities that we serve through these organizations are um, like largely composed of minority individuals. And so like serving with these organizations is a way to like support people um, that are different from us. Um, and then there's also many more organizations in our community to support. Um, and then another good question just to ask when we are thinking about justice is um, what our individual response is towards it. So are we responding in a Catholic way or in a way that society um, kind of puts forth? Because I think especially with social media, we're told that there's like one specific way to react and to discuss and things like that. And then 
for the step of educating ourselves, that's something that we've hopefully been doing all summer. Um, and there's tons of resources, both Catholic and non-Catholic. Um, and then our University Catholic website, where you found the link for this town hall, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, it has some good resources that we've talked about. And then Nick added in a little list right here. And then the last slide that we have, which is the fifth step, um, is working in our churches. And so there's some like larger changes that we wish to see in the church, but some smaller actionable ones that we can do um, in our Catholic community is um, making a space where people see themselves, see people like themselves. And so one thing that we're gonna be doing in Frasati is we're gonna have a wall of all the different Marian apparitions um, because Mary is so beautiful in that she goes to places all around the world and reveals herself in the culture and the appearance um, of those she's appearing to. And so we're excited to be able to have that um, in our Frasati house. And then um, recognizing and celebrating saints of all different um, ethnicities and nationalities, people from all over the globe. Um, that's very important. And then also looking to Catholic action figures throughout history to model after and learn about. Um, and then we have a couple listed here. And then also here's a picture of St. Martin de Porres, one of my favorites. Um, on the UCAT mission trip in March, we went and saw all of the different things of his life, which was really cool. And then steps six and seven were changing structures and then the conversion of all. Um, but we, we all know what we need to do as individuals to begin the process of conversion of all, um, investing in those around us, praying for our families, things of that nature. Yes, so that is our little PowerPoint on some of the actionable items, but if anyone has any others that they wanna throw out right now, that would be awesome. I did wanna chime in really quick again, Elizabeth, for um, this just relates to the other action points you were relating to, but being more specific. Um, I remember on the March for Life, I had shared a story with you all about, um, you know, just what it's like to be a minority to go to, to Benton Hall, though I know, I think you guys will be at the cathedral, but even so, wherever Mass is, um, what it's like to, to be a minority and walk into Mass, and again, not see many faces that look like yours, and then to be expected to kind of um, socialize in the back um, if you don't know anyone. And, and again, that can be another tremendous source of anxiety. And so I would just highly encourage you guys to, especially again, those of you who are on the leadership team, but everyone, um, after mass, you know, be so intentional about going and talking to people, minorities or not, <laughs> but anyone new faces that you see, like you just, I can't underestimate the value of overestimate the value of that. Like you, it makes all the difference in the world because then they're a person who's new is not a stranger and they're not unwelcome. Um, so I just wanted to mention that again. In the spirit of Aaron Aziz, cause we were talking about him earlier. Um, he wasn't involved with the Catholic community his first year 
but then his sophomore year he went to Benton Mass and he was kind of like a person that would always leave like right after Mass but one day he just like stuck around and then one of the focus missionaries talked to him rip I wish it would have been one of us students and then he got um no it was a student it was a student oh, it was a student well maybe a student with a focus missionary but it was Jeremy Lugansky okay. who invited him into a Bible study. Okay. And then look where we are today. So those Benton times are very important. And if I can add on to that, Elizabeth, this is something um, that I've been thinking about a lot um, in examining, you're doing that examination of like, okay, how can, how can you be better? And I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And it's not just Benton Mass too, like that's huge. Um, but it's like, this is an ethic for evangelization, period. And I think that's an important thing to understand is that like, this is also the work that we do on campus, in our classes, in our Bible studies, um, in our families and our friend groups back home, um, in this time of of weird quarantine around the country, that's more relevant than ever. And that's where the conversations have been happening these past several months. Um, and how so much of this, find your sphere of influence, love well, reach out well, be okay with being uncomfortable, talk to people who don't look like you, learn about their experiences. Um, this is where this, this sort of like culture of, culture of encounter it doesn't just take place at Benton Mass. After Benton Mass, when we're all eating cookies and drinking lemonade and, and all that jazz, like it should happen there. It should happen at Sunday supper and at UCAT events. But that's just the beginning, or frankly, it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of missionary work. And this is something that I've been realizing as a huge fault in my own like outreach on campus. Um, and something that I think we all desire for our ministry to grow in as well. There's been a like, such a large push in the past two years to, to have more of a missionary presence on campus. And I think it comes down to, yeah, having that, that willingness to, to encounter just in the small moments, because it's in those, it's in those, like, it's in the minutiae that not number one, we're going to find our sainthood and number two, that we're going to find our brothers and sisters. Um, it's almost too late to do it just at, just on Sunday night. Um, because we can talk to a person for 20 minutes once a week. Um, but our, our sainthood and our, our life as Christian missionaries is lived out every other day of the week too. And that's something that I've struggled mightily with. Um, and in, in examining my own strengths and shortcomings um, in especially outreach um, to my brother of color. It's been so obvious that like, this is, this is what we need to do. It's, it's the daily commitment to virtue. Um, and it goes beyond the walls of any building. Um, and it starts in prayer. Um, can't stress enough. I know Courtney, you said you were talking about examinations of conscience. I can't, I cannot stress that enough. Um, it's huge. So yeah, just some extension off of that for like missionary zeal, um, which is something I see so beautifully in this community. And if we can harness it, um, man, like that's, 
that's where renewal begins. Um, so. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Nick. I I agree that um, it, it does go beyond just the walls of the church. Um, and I think knowing that for us that the mass is uh, our foundation and where we uh, sacramentally receive Jesus, but um, the continuation of, yeah, we're not um, having that experience, uh, but to be sharing that with others. And I think that that's something that is can be very challenging particularly on a campus or particularly in all those spheres that you just listed you know even families even uh in in the home um like we can feel alone in that and so i think that's part of the beauty of us coming together and talking about this stuff and i would say if, if you feel alone or if, if you're being discriminated or if other people are acting sinfully towards you uh to be able to call that for what it is uh and to also um, stand for the truth, no matter what. Uh, earlier before dinner, we were sort of joking about the uh, the kitchen. We've done a renovation at Prasadi, and a bunch of the walls were knocked down. Father Javon said, "Like we don't have walls, Catholics. We don't we don't have walls. We knock them down, you know." And, and I thought that, that was just uh, so beautiful. And in a lot of times in mission, we sort of have whether it be imaginary or per perceived walls or reasons for us not doing certain things or for us not maybe saying the truth or for uh, reaching out. Um, and I think that that's in the document that Elizabeth was speaking on, it's a seven part process of USCCB call to love. And I love that uh, call to love. And to if there's a call that implies also that we're listening, we're responding to something. So whether that be God, whether it be just the need of another person, um, but to listen, to respond to, to God's will uh, and to truly love. And I think that it's difficult to love when we have uh, barriers or impediments to that, you know, and there's, there's so many. And so I think kind of whatever our action steps being, you know, to as quickly as possible, cut through some of those uh, walls and really be standing on the truth wherever we go. Does anybody else have any action plan or something that you guys would like to see us doing? 
uh, I think we kind of talked a lot about a lot of stuff. Is there anybody who kind of would say, hey, this is what I would like to see this next semester? How, how, how do you want things to be differently this, this next semester? God, I'm not at school, I don't forget my hands. Um, something I wonder is if in the UCAT library, like if there are currently books there that are about, you know, black history, you know, or history of different minorities in the church, like in either locally or in the US, um, if there are books about some of those saints or people that you guys mentioned, if there are books about specifically addressing racism and I don't know, that's just something that popped into my head of perhaps using part of the budget to purchase some books like that and making sure people know that they're there and encouraging people to check them out. And maybe if there's some that are really good, having a couple copies and encouraging people to like read it with a friend, you know, like have get two or three people together to read the book and talk about it. Because I can imagine some really fruitful conversations um, with that. What else? Um, hi, I was wondering how like you guys plan to kind of incorporate this conversation within the larger UCA community because obviously just like a select few of the pe people actually come to the town hall. So how do you kind of plan on doing outreach to those people who might not feel that this is a conversation they need to have? Well, I believe that you have to help us with that. How are we going to do this? I'm open to any suggestions. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, um, in August, we're going to have like a 26 person uh, board retreat. And so this is definitely a topic that we will be bringing up there. Um, a couple of us are here tonight, um, like Emily and Nick, but our board is much bigger than that. There's 23 other people. So that's definitely a conversation that we're gonna be having there. And then um, I mentioned this earlier during the PowerPoint, but during our Sunday suppers, we get like a much bigger, wider audience of um, UCAT peeps. And so we were thinking of having um, like a themed topic for discussion. And so this is definitely a topic that we could bring into that space.
Yes, and we would, we would hope too that you know those images that we'll be putting up in the Frasati house. That's another good way to, you know, when someone asks about you know, oh this is new or like why is this up here, or you know I didn't notice this before, and you can put it. Well, actually, this is something kind of new that we, um, that we added. You know, recognizing that there is, there's been some disconnects, you know, in the past, and using things like that. That's why I think like for example having books and. Things like that available in the Frasati house is a good way to help kind of naturally spark some of those conversations. Um, and that does fall on us to like, I know I'm not a student, but it falls on each person to, who is aware that this conversation needs to be happening to look for those opportunities to bring it up, you know, even when it's not like blaringly obvious, just like being open to those opportunities. Um, I might, I, I might look for a, uh, like Bible study or some sort of other, um, way to address it in Bible studies. Um, now that can just be like one, meet, you know, like one time in the normal meetings or over a few different weeks, but I feel like that would be a really good way to kind of reaffirm those values and what we've talked about and also address it on a to more people, but also on a more individual level where we can talk about it. Subsidiarity and engaging your spheres of influence. It's Catholic social teaching right there. Um, I would add to just on that. Um, Dick, would you define subsidiarity for us? So subsidiarity is one of the like basic principles of, of Catholic social teaching as I, I threw seconds or less. Father. 15 seconds or less. Father. Um, I threw in on that, on that, um, the slides, which will probably be shared, um, a document from Pope Leo XIII that goes into these ideas in greater length. But essentially it means doing the work of like social action or of building up your community on like smaller, more localized scales first, such that you can get the most direct and personal engagement and using, using those smaller level actions to build up on the larger scale. Um, and so those actions take the form of solidarity, which is something we talked about in the first, in the first town hall as another principle of Catholic social teaching. So it's living in solidarity on a, on a more localized intentional level. Um, it's sort of the principle behind talking about spheres of influence. So, to put it into one sentence, um, I'd say it is that uh, social problems should not be addressed at a level above the largest level where they can possibly be addressed. Is that anybody who knows more theology than me? Correct me, please. Will you say it one more time so I can write it down? Um, that gives me a chance to rephrase it. Thanks, Elizabeth. Uh, that social challenges should not be addressed on a larger regional scale than possible, than is the smallest possible. Should be addressed at the smallest possible regional scale. 
Often people yeah. say at the local level, that might be an easier mm -hmm. way of saying it in the positive. It should be like, if you think about voting, it would be the difference between voting for like your district official versus like a state rep. Or, you know, if you put in a family, you know, you don't call grandmother until you talk to mom. Um, an important point I'd like to bring up is that it's important to also not always expect, like, it's important for the UCAT community to not always expect students of color to be starting these conversations and, di like, directing these conversations and just always being able to participate in them. Because I think, I mean, from all the conversations I've had with several individuals, it takes like an emotional toll on students of color, individuals of color. And it also just also speaks to responsibility and like all our responsibilities to educate ourselves, not just our responsibility to listen. And I think that is, is important. Go ahead, Maria. Sorry, that, that's why I was just gonna say, which is why I think Chidiogo brought up an important question of like, this conversation has started now like, what is the rest of the UCAT community going to do to keep it going with us yeah. part of it? But. Yeah, I just think that it's important that we cannot divide ourselves in groups. You know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing that we have to, it's not Dan and, you know, it's us, you know, how can we do this? How are we gonna, you know, keep that conversation going. How is UCAT as a us? I don't, I, I don't know how to express that in another way, but it's like, how is us? How we all to be really south? You know, how are we all gonna do this? I kind of, I wanted to echo that sentiment because another thought I was having, I was having, but I was hesitant, but I'll just jump in since Maria addressed it head on was, I do love the Sunday supper idea, but I think it's problematic in that it, it would create um, uh, an environment where people would have to be vulnerable, maybe in their very first encounter with UCAT in a way that could be psychologically damaging. Um, even if they weren't required to share just to simply sit in on a conversation that is centered on racial justice calls to mind, you know, your, your the times that you have suffered injustice. So I don't, I'm not to say that it can't be done, but it would have to be done delicately and very intentionally. Because um, another thing that I was saying in, in another conversation with a different group was, you also want to be so, so careful that in an effort to like go back and start these action points, your first in with <laughs> a minority isn't, so how's your summer, man? How's your healing process? Like the, the conversation can't begin that way. So it, it just has to be so, so intentional so that you are ready to listen, but not interrogate if that makes sense. Yeah, I That's think. Go oh, ahead, Kate. Go ahead, Kate. Um, yeah, something that I've been thinking about is how, um, like, how necessary these conversations are, but also we have, like, 
an entire freshman class that's coming into this and they're also um, coming into what I think might be one of the hardest colleges ex college experiences that students will ever have um, and so something I've been thinking about like alongside that is like how will we as a community like how do we welcome them into these conversations without particularly like um, the freshmen or um, people of color like how do we invite them into this community without feeling like giving them this obligation to fully engage or to share in those things um, yeah I just like don't know exactly how we will navigate that Do we have anything else that we want to address today? And again, I think that this is not the end of it, it's the beginning of a lot of, I think we, we got a lot of things that each one, um, each one of us can, you know, start, but I know that that's not the end of it, so. So actually, um, the thing that I have been um, half that I have been doing as I was as I was listening was uh, putting the final touches on a spreadsheet that I've been working on um, for a good part of the summer and a little bit of spring. I'm just like adding touches to the spreadsheet of the books that I've read that I had in, um, inclu which includes you know a bunch of different statistical measures as well as various tabs with various lists of important books, most of the vast majority of which I haven't read. Um, and part of the reason why I created it is because I um, thought that um, such a list, such a spreadsheet could be helpful for my friends who also want to grow in knowledge of the world and of truth, so on and so forth. Um, so do you all want me to drop that link in the chat? So, um, so the, one of the tabs is from a one of the good Jesuits um, on a, I think he calls it the Lifetime Catholic Reading List. It really is, it really is rigorous. Um, there's a lot there. Um, another is more just a general reading arts um, reading list, ironically by another one of the good Jesuits. Um, another one is an adaptation of the um, AEDS majors reading list that they gave us. And then another one is, you know, just suggestions from random people whose input I thought was worth asking for. So 
There it is. Hope it's useful. Patrick, can we include it on our list of resources on the website? For sure. Okay, thank you. Also, I mean, it includes all the books that I've read in the last two years. So if that's something you're interested in. I'd also okay. like to make a shameless plug for my blog real quick. Um, I could drop that link to you too, Elizabeth. Um, I have resources for Black American saints specifically, because oftentimes we just talk about um, you know, African saints, which are wonderful, but this is an American problem. And I think it's really important to hone in on Black American saints. Um, in particular, the prayer for the canonization of Augustus Tolton. Um, I think that's something that a lot of you could commit to your daily prayer regimen because you're um, spiritual warriors anyway. So um, I'll share that with you as well. Awesome, guys. Is there any, anybody else? I mean, anything else you want to express now? Well, I would like to thank everybody who that was here today, has been for, here for the last, you know, out of the other two town halls as well. Just know that, like we taught a lot, it's, this is not the end of it, it's the beginning. We have a lot of work to do. And if I think that if we, if we get out of here of one thing, this town hall is that it's not, it is only us. You know, this is a problem that us, that we are facing because, you know, a lot of our brothers and sisters are suffering. So this is us. And we have to together find out the solution for this. You know, there is, unfortunately, there is not a solution that is just like, oh, the, you know, the board is going to make this, this. No, it's us, each one of us. We have to, you know, I think each one of those town halls help me to grow my faith and help me to, you know, be a better person. So how I think each one of us, if we can, you know, approach next time that we, next time that we come into the Frasati house or next time that we come into whatever we're going to have our masses, we got in a sense of mission. We have a mission to do, you know, we have Jesus Christ to, and I think it goes back to our to a mission to proclaim Jesus Christ and follow his disciples. If each one of us, every time that we encounter somebody, we have that in mind, I think that will be a better place for all. So thank you for being here. And this is the end of our Tao Hall number three.